Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Musician's Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Mark, and today I have the privilege of speaking with the charismatic Sham69 UK session drummer extraordinaire, Robin Guy. Robin Guy has done stints with Rachel Stamp, Bruce Dickinson, Obviously, as I mentioned, Sham69, he's played with pretty much everybody. He's done the session and clinic world for years. And we get into a Faith No More story, which I thought was freaking hilarious. Robin's a true inspiration. He's been going through some personal stuff the last few years, which we talk a little bit about. But he just keeps on rocking, man. People set him up, Robin knocks him down. Can't say enough good things about this guy, so we're going to get straight into it. But as usual... Leave us a rating or review if you're getting stuff from this. And ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Robin Guy. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, I am super, 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 super stoked to say that today on the show, we have a good friend of mine and drumming royalty as far as I'm concerned, all the way from Croydon in the United Kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, Robin Guy. How you doing, Robin? Travis Mark, it's been a long time, man. I, I like the uh, I like the intro, rock royalty. Or I'm wearing my crown and cape. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you know, uh, I know you and I briefly spoke for a couple minutes before I hit record, but the the it's so true, dude. I remember seeing you for the first time. I'd read about you a couple times in Rhythm Magazine, um, right, right, but, right, yeah. But, but the first time I got to experience you live in the flesh <laughs> yeah. was in. 2010 at the Joe Becky UK Custom Drum Show. God bless wow. Colin and Jane. And yes, uh, yes. I was playing at that show and you were playing at that show. And I was brand new in town. Not that I lived in that particular part of town, but I was brand yeah, new yeah. in town. And I got to be honest, I didn't know anybody. And I saw the, the poster or whatever. And I was like, Robin Guy. And I saw this picture of like, a dude throwing sticks or something. And I was like, man, I wonder what this is all about. I know that there were many great drummers playing that day and I don't mean to dismiss any of them, but you stole that freaking show. And I became an instant fan. And I know that we've spoken uh, in interviews many times since then, but I'm so stoked to have you on the show, dude. You, you are a drummer that anybody drummer or non-drummers that you should check robin out the guy's freaking incredible so now that i've blown I'm up honored. your ego thank you thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, just quickly that joe becky thing was that with carl brazil carl brazil and 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 cobus mm, he was i did on, a couple he wasn't on that one i think that was the first one but carl was on it and johnny jenkins was on it and, right, yeah, um, that's it. And it was in a back hall, and it was really dark, and they had like, like four or eight little disco lights. So that was it. You remember? Yes, it was. It was small, and it, and it, it started to. Oh, Simon Mellish was on it as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a great day, you know. I, I, it was it was one of the the, you know, I had never driven that far for a clinic in my life before. I was living in, I feel like I was living in Bracknell. And I can't remember mm-hmm. the area that was in, but I remember it was really far. I mean, we, we all drove a hell of a long way to get there. And I mean, I remember sort of arriving, the sat-nav took me to literally like it's, it was a horror movie. It was like <laughs> me and my friend Lee, who does drum tech. Oh, yeah, Lee. Yeah, big, tall Lee with the long hair. You know, fantastic. And, and we, we were, <laughs> we, 
the sat nav said you have arrived and we looked at it was like a five bar gate into the middle of a wood <laughs> and it would literally look like the absolute every single wolf creek stalker psycho movie you'd have a, it was like oh shit it's not around here you know and then we drove around eventually found a sort of the b&b they put us up we checked in there's sort of like a naked man on a balcony or whatever holding a towel and we're like okay this is getting strange we checked in and found that there was only one bed so we're like okay cool you know you can have the armchair or you know? and it was, it was just such a run-up and we had breakfast in the morning and went and rocked the show and uh and then, you know it was just it's, any clinic is a good fun time hanging out with drummers talking about you know your life on the road talking about yourself talking about your setup doing some things trying to inspire some people playing a bunch of different music you know and clinics i like to do something heavy something funky something pop something cheesy uh you know something mellow and just sort of say to everyone my message is just like you know play everything <laughs> you yeah. know? or try to and be influenced by everything and, and enjoy it you know like food eat different foods you know you might like some of it you know don't just stick to whatever it is fish and chips or you know what I mean exactly so let's delve a little bit more into that let's talk about your beginnings now again I don't yep. mean for this to sound ignorant to anything I don't want to sound like yeah. a broken record I know we've spoken before uh, but mm. let's let's for for um, purpose of a new audience here tell yep. us a little bit about your beginnings how you kind of got into drumming what was it mm. that drew you to it and and not even just drumming what was it about music that that attracted you well I mean, it's not a cheesy, I mean, maybe it's a cheesy question. It's a brilliant question. I mean, um, I think, first off, I'll say my statement is, that you know, and I think a lot of people would empathize with this, is, you know, you don't choose the drums, the drums choose you. You know, there's so many people out there just like, look, I started, I mean, you know, I, I, I was in primary school where back in them days, you know, we're talking, I guess, what was I, born in 1970, so like, you know, 1976, 77, whatever, primary school, and you've got the, the old school desks, with, with they didn't quite have an inkwell, but they had a hole for the inkwell, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and they had this lip, you know, because it's like a lid where you put your, 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 your pencils and stuff in, you know, and they had this lip, and I was always tapping on the lip, and, and you know, just because if you're a drummer, it's just an infectious, you know, thing you've got going through you, you know, part of me. There's a there's a part of me that's always drumming. If I'm sitting on the toilet, my teeth are drumming. You know what I mean? Or feet sitting on the bus, my hands. Are, there's just something always moving, and people are always going, "Well, can you stop moving your leg?" I'm like, "Oh shit, sorry, I was working at this beat." You know? So there I was, primary school, tapping on a desk, and, and generally every day, about five times a day, it would be like, "Robin, yes, miss, stand up, yes, miss, Robin, yes, miss, shut up, yes, miss, Robin, yes, miss, sit down." You know, and it was, you know, you just carry on tapping. Um, I guess my folks sort of like saw this. And I mean, my mum, it's really, I guess, I got, you know, thanks to my mum, because she was a music movement teacher. And so she would have all a bag of like percussion, uh, you know, tambourines and bells and whistles and the odd little hand drum and stuff like that. And, and, and I, I guess I was sort of drawn to that. Um, and um, right early on, she took me to see Buddy Rich at the Sadler's Wells Theatre in Eastbourne. And obviously that's just, you know, it's just mind-blowing. And, and shortly around that time as well, she took me to, and I don't know if you've heard of these, but it's a tribe called the Kodo Drummers, K-O-D-O. And they're from a little island off, off, off Japan, I think, called Kodo. And they are mental. <laughs> they were dressed in like loincloths and headbands. And they've got these, like mallets, like uh, kind of like sticks, but more like baseball bats. And they wheel on this great big drum. And it's a bit like if you've ever seen Iron Maiden at the end, when they do Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden, uh, their self, you know, the self-titled song, they always wheel out a huge eddy that comes, is their big monster at the back. And it was the equivalent of that. They wheeled on this massive drum the size of a caravan, you know, and this one dude with his back to us and just like, you know, just hammering the absolute living daylights out of this drum. And then everyone else has got like really tightly wound 
like piccolo kind of hide drums you know what i mean like yeah. all uh, handmade it's mental i don't think there's any microphones it's just deafening and they do a kind of dance and it, it's it's very tribal and you know my my playing has sort of evolved into this sort of tribal groove you know i just love deep dark and heavy tribal tom-tom type things with a with a with a, with a backbeat you know and maybe it's come from that and then sort of you know the the, the, the pop so to speak the music that i was sort of exposed to in the sort of you know the you know early 80s let's say when i was just just young enough to sort of well just 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 at the age where sort of music started to come out of the speakers so to speak was like adam and the ants which is obviously very tribal very original you know you've got the, the glorious pop of like old madonna and early duran duran you've got like the funkiness of madness and and of course top of the top of the game you've got the police yeah which you got you know stuart copeland so i mean that's a massive influence a lot of drummers will say that stuart copeland's an influence and you can kind of directly see it a bit jazzy blah 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 i'll say he's a massive influence but with really subtle things you know and you have to look in my playing it's like lots of emphases and um and i love the way that at the end of a song when it was just fading out he would either switch from eighth notes on a tight hat to quarter notes on a ride and it would just suddenly come up and start cruising out, you know, as they fade out or he'd go from kind of like, you know, like quarter notes on a ride, ping, ping, really open and then whack it down to tight eights on the hat. And, and, and I got that. And I just like, that's just making the whole, it's like dropping into fifth gear and off you go, you know? And, uh, and obviously that's lots of staccato emphasis is on the snare. Uh, you know, I like lots of stuff like that. Um, you know, he's not like a big heavy metal field drummer, you know, but yeah. then obviously after that, you know, I, I sort of, um, went on a French exchange with the school and, uh, my, my French, uh, compadre, so to speak, uh, my exchange student was a guy called Stefan Gonzalez. And uh, he, he was a massive, massive, massive Michael Jackson fan. He had like cutouts of Michael Jackson all around the, and around the, around the room. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But like, what's this tape? What's this bunch of cassettes over in the corner? And he said, oh, Robin, it's, it's shit. It's shit. And I looked at the shit and it was Judas Priest Kiss Iron Maiden, you know. And I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, this looks interesting because all sort of heavy metal albums had amazing artwork. Oh, it was you know fantastic, what I mean? yeah. And, 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 and the thing was, I had a friend called Mark uh, Howard and he was the sort of the, the traditional big, chunky spotty heavy metal fan on, on in the school like in all american movies he was that guy you know with a with a sort of you know black t-shirt a sweaty jacket patches and all that you know and he had an iron maiden killers t-shirt which you know it's got eddie in the sort of street light and all his hair's all gold and glittering and he's got an axe and his hand you know it's a, and it's this really colorful but on a black t-shirt i've never seen anything like it and of course so here i am finding this cassette and it was iron maiden killers the album so I looked at this cover of our Iron Maiden Killers and I was like, well, that's the same as Mark's on his T-shirt. So I was literally, I was so intrigued. I was like, I've got to see what this T-shirt sounds like. You know what I mean? So I grabbed a computer cassette recorder, went for a bath in a, you know, in a French, uh, French bathroom. And you know, I think like you know, two or three hours later, I was you know, playing the album sort of again and again and again. And, and then Stefan's dad was like, knock, 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 Robin, are you okay in there? You know, and I was like, flipping <laughs> devil horns going, yes, I've, I've discovered the dark side. And it was just glorious because that just opened up a whole different kind of music because I was used to, like I said, but, you know, the clean cut, perfect pop melodies of Duran Duran, Madonna and, you know, police and that. And suddenly it's sort of this crazy guitar solos and drums and, you know, it sucked me in and, and that was it. So after that, it was what I called the three M's, 
Maiden, Motley, and Motorhead, you know? Nice. Uh, so, and then you get Motley Crue, and you've got a crazy, crazy um, image, and then you've got ups, upside-down drum risers, and you've got glam rock, and then from there you go into all the other thing. And so I still loved all the pop stuff, which I still do. Uh, but, you know, that opened up the, the metal side, the heavy stuff, and obviously Clive Burr, uh, you know, the original Maiden drummer, and then that gave way to Nick Cummins' brain, and then, you know, off you go. Do you know what I mean? There's some amazing drummers out there, whether it's pop, jazz, dance, metal, whatever. And, and you know, you find your thing. And so my playing style is kind of you know permeated emanated whatever from sort of copeland and pop into sort of you know tribal with the adam and the ants two drummers they had the burundi beat you know which was you know which which marilyn manson stole so well in beautiful people that you know massive great big groove yeah and that's directly you put on an adam ant records kings of the wild frontier and music you know and it's all there so you know people say you know pop's different than metal but i mean it's all you know, what's the difference between the beat, the, the, the beat, the drum beat for Beat It, Michael Jackson, and the drum beat for Back in Black? Exactly. It's exactly the same. One's exactly. just a bit more volume. One's got a bit more, you know, a bit more, a bit more spit and sawdust and a bit more volume. But essentially, it's all one on a floor, you know, one on, a, you know, two on a kit, uh, the, the snare, you know? Yeah, I think it's become so, I mean, it always has been, but I feel like it's even gotten worse how this having to shove everything in a category or a mm. genre or a yeah. box. Yeah. It's just becoming like, even, even when you fill in certain things, when you're a, an artist or a songwriter now, it's like, there's mm -hmm. always yeah. the part of the form that goes, well, five similar artists you sound like. You go like, I get it. I understand for curators and playlists and stuff like that, that that's what they want to do. But yeah. man, it's it's really like you and I spoke briefly about food before we started recording this. It's like yeah, yeah. It, it it's it's a little narrow minded because you wouldn't mm. eat just one type of food. So why is it that you yeah. would only want to listen to one type of music or one type of drumming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? It's so obvious to me, but I don't know why a lot of people I guess it may be prejudice, maybe they're scared or whatever. I mean, it's like you know, I, 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 you know, there's, there's, there's not that much music out there I don't like. You know, I mean, you know, certain massively extreme noise core stuff where you know you can't even hear the beat or the words or the melody or the guitar riff. I like a big fat riff and a big fat beat. You know, but then I love folk music. I love um, chilled out, um, you know, acoustic stuff. Um, you know, I mean, just everything. I hate people who go, oh, I only listen to metal. Or I only listen to hip hop. Or I only listen to dance. Everything else sucks. And it's like, well. I've I've got for my clinic tracks. Like I said, I said to you a minute ago, I do a heavy song, a funky song, a pop song, an acoustic song, a folky one. But also, when I wrote like three clinic tracks for myself, and one's like based on a, a drum and bass rhythm, and that was because I had uh, I you know I heard a CD by I think it's a drum and bass guy called Boymerang or something, and I just thought ah oh, this is gonna suck, you know whatever, and I put it on, and it was like a you know this really cool drum and bass beat. It was, you know and it was like i was like oh let me try that and let me play it in a rock way and you know dice it up a bit and chop it out and 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 have some fun with it whack it on a piccolo maybe try it on the floor tom and you know suddenly you, you you've you've stolen another beat that you've whacked in your in your clip you know what i mean and and and, and if i was prejudiced i literally wouldn't have lift listened to that drum and bass beat and people especially drummers um i think we're a more open-minded as people anyway musically a lot you know everyone else seems to be very precious about their their riffs or their, their tone or their styling or whatever and drummers like you know if you said hey robin what was that thing you did there i would turn around and show you whereas i think the general rule of thumb with the guitarists they turn their back and go i'm not going to show you my licks yeah. you, know? <laughs> you know i mean I, I i got i've stolen all my stuff off people you know what i mean and then you you mix it around and it comes out as 
Robin Guy, you know. But, you know, I could tell you specific beats. I'd be like, right, Travis, see this bit coming up? Right, that I nicked that off the guy from Junkyard. That I nicked the guy from Biohazard. That's a police thing coming up. That's the guy from Stock Mojo. This is an amazing thing. This is an adamantic. You know, you'd be like, oh my God, you're right. You're such a fraud. You're a fraud. <laughs> but Robin the fraud guy. Copeland, I'm, I'm sure if you talk to Stuart Copeland or, or Dave Wackley, you know, they're like, well, I think that was Steve Smith. Oh my God, I took this off guard, you know. And what are you going to do, you know? Exactly. So, <laughs> so how did you start gigging and sort of how old were you when you figured out that maybe this is something you could do, you could be a pro? Well, uh, again, going using back the the, the 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 police as my sort of uh, answer. I remember at my school when I got secondary school, I was like, you know, I got the inklings of like maybe I wanted to start doing drums and playing and that. And and and, and we didn't have a drum teacher, so it was kind of the general music teacher would have drums. And I remember going for a lesson, and he just sat there. And this is this is amazing. I even turned up and carried on doing drums after this. He just he just sort of sat down and dejectedly said, you know what, Robin. I hate drums, <laughs> or something like that. You know, it would have made it. It made it more sense if you go. You know what, Robin? I fucking hate drums. You know, and it was that kind of statement. And I was feeling so dejected, going, oh, "I can't help you there, teach." You know, <laughs> so we sort of muddled away through the lesson, and it amounted to nothing. And um, so basically, I came out of the whole secondary school very not disillusioned per se, but just like, well, I, I thought I'd have met musicians, you know, and I'd been in a band, and it just wasn't to be. So yes. I. I went to college, not because I wanted to go to college, but I think my parents went, you're going to college. You enrolled me on like drama course for a couple of years. And, I, and basically I'd read in a police annual uh, interview with, I think it was Sting or Copeland, but um, uh, let's say it was Stuart Copeland. And they said, where did you form? And he said, we formed at college. So I just, that just struck to me. I was like, well, that's where you form bands. It didn't happen in school. The police formed in college. That's where I'm going, you know. So I was like, right, I'll do this drama malarkey, you know. And lo and behold, I saw some guy with like, you know, sort of spiky long hair and we immediately bonded. Uh, his name was uh, Roger and, and, and we formed the first band, proper proper band, you know, and that was called Centerfold. And it was his brother Andy on, on bass. So it was a three-piece. And then... Um, and his brother was a, was a journalist, so he was busy with doing that. So he then quit, and then we got another couple of guys in local, and then we got rid of them and got another two guys in. And we changed the name from Centrefold to Hang 'em High, and you know, so basically the Centrefold played like local kind of little pubs, and it was great fun. And then uh, and then and Hang 'em High moved out to sort of oh, we're going we're going to play Brighton now, you know, <laughs> we're going to go and do a, a big town, you know. So we we and, and and we kind of got up to London sort of and then then that folded and and you know there was a band called jailbird is sort of some of the members and then eventually i was like look i need to do this that that was at that point i guess i was sort of like late teens uh i was like look i really want to kick ass and do this and um you know you read all in a in a in a, in a papers like kerrang or whatever like you know people moving to to hollywood to find a band or moving to whatever so i was like well i've got to move somewhere to find a band they're not going to be in my little village you know or even in brighton or whatnot so um and, and and there was an ad. I think I'm, I advertised, and uh, and anyway, I ended up moving to relocating Lock, Stock, and Barrel to to Wales to mm. Cardiff, where I joined a band called Rag Dolls, and we were like, you know, Cardiff's answer to Motley Crue or something. You know, that's what we thought. And I, I literally, I was so naive. I just thought that's it. It's going to be sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I'm going to be a millionaire in a week. You know, like you know, Del Boy kind of thing. You know, mm. and um, it didn't quite happen. But we did actually manage to get. We, we, we got a video on uh, on, on MTV. Uh, uh, we were the first unsigned band to be featured on Headbangers Ball. Cool. Um, so that was awesome. And so and, and we got to the point where we were starting to do a few national gigs, um, you know, and uh, we got the attention of the manager from the Almighty, 
Tommy T, sadly not with us anymore, but a lovely guy. And he was like, right, get in the studio, do some demos. And then he gave us an access all area pass to, to Donington, Monsters of Rock, where the Almighty were playing. Yeah. And we were just like, this is it. This is this is life in the free, the free lane. You know, like we're getting guest tickets for Donington and we're, we're the bee's knees, you know. And, um, you know, it, it didn't morph into anything. I think, you know, the, the guitarist quit and the bass player quit and just on the eve of, having a big showcase gig and you know we did showcases for record companies and you know we kind of did everything and we, we did everything with full heart but didn't quite get there uh, we played the marquee you know and you know legendary marquee club yeah. and it, it was fantastic so we kind of you know with all bands you step it up a notch and i think basically you know I'm, I'm still here because i just you know never sort of quit you know what i mean and if you don't quit and you just keep going it's like climbing a mountain even if you only go up an inch a year you know you're still going to get to the top in the end you know what i mean and and so with me it was like right that band didn't work came back home i was like what haven't i tried london so i was like let's go for the uh the biggest ad i can find in london <laughs> you know yeah. and i uh, got that audition and you know that was another crazy story and another crazy band and and it, you know you just keep chipping away and you know i think the general rule of thumb which is, is you, if you if you interview like you know successful people or millionaires or people like i think it was maybe a richard branson quote it's like um um the people who fail um they fail once yeah and then they give up whereas millionaires or successful people i mean we fail all the time but we keep we keep getting up and i think it's the fear of failure that, that puts the, the you know the 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 fear of life at the people. You know, like oh god, I don't want to. Oh, that failed, and that's terrible. But like, you know, I guess it's the equivalent of being heartbroken and never finding a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, a partner ever again because you're just too scared of that pain. Whereas you know, there's that it's that saying, and it? it's better to have um, loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Yeah. And of course, it's like with a band. You know, I, I've loved many. <laughs> I've sort of like you know, I've been burned at the stake for a lot. You know, a lot, a lot of them don't work. A lot of them end up you know just falling apart or your know, argument or whatever and you just it just must be in my blood or either that i'm the stupidest person in the world but just keep going you just love rock and roll and sold my soul a while ago you know <laughs> along with it my hearing you know <laughs> and and i think i've clocked up something ridiculous like 85 bands in the in in the in the process i've done countless tours and thousands of gigs and, and and work with loads of different people on all different levels whether it's like all about eve which is like children folky or tiger tails which is balls out glam Sham 69, which is old, old school 1977 punk rock. Um, Martin Barr, the guy from uh, Jeffro Tull, Eric Faulkner from Basically Rollers. You know, this is it's so different. You know what I mean? You know, and then I'm sort of a common denominator in all of that, whether it's, you know, my sticks, my sound, my look, or whatever. I'm trying to be flexible as much as possible while still putting me into it. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. So let's, let's talk a little bit about a sort of sad path that we can take from some of the stuff you just spoke about i mean you've played in yeah. so many bands i mean sham 69 gmt mm. rachel stamp target tales etc 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 so i know this is possibly a little bit of an awkward one and i've had the discussion with a few people on the show now already but yeah. what is your approach to trying to get along and deal with so many different personalities when you're in these bands especially not not so much when you're doing one-off gigs you know one-off gigs are easy you go do the gig mm. everybody's always in a good mood you go home you don't see each other for another week for sure but, for sure 100%. but when you're in when you're in bands and you're in a van 
and <laughs> you're in in each other's space for and the, whether the, it's the honeymoon period is over. <laughs> yeah, because because it definitely does get over at a point. You know, every everyone's always on such a high when you're doing like a big thing, opening a festival or closing a festival, supporting yeah. somebody. But you know, there, there's a lot of shit that comes with a lot of these things too, and you know, it's things like not eating right, or or your van yeah. breaking down, or or suddenly someone's partner breaks up with them while they're on the road, or they they money Dude, troubles. I mean, you know, join a band, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like <laughs> you know? it's it's there's so many things that I, I just find that no one really ever talks about. I've, I've obviously spoken about them a few times on this podcast, but yeah. What's your approach to that? You know, just dealing with different personalities, dealing with some of the struggles on the road, just dealing with the that that little voice inside uh, a lot of musicians' head that, heads that go, you know, if you uh, if you went and got a, a real job, and I hate that phrase, but you you went yeah, and got yeah. a real job, you would have pension and security, and now you're in this van with these motherfuckers and blah yeah. blah 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 blah. Right. What's, what's what's your what's your um what's your mindset well, in that regard? Well, first off, that, first off, that's an absolutely brilliant question. I, I'd I'd urge you to ask it on every single blooming podcast because you're going to get a, so much different answers, and it's also an insight to the person whether they're a doormat, whether they're an egotistical dictator, whether they are. I think it's like. You know, the, you know that guy you're telling me about the jam night. He walked in looking like a millionaire, and he couldn't play for shit. And he's, he's, he's swallowed by his own ego. Yeah. You know, you can so many different people, and, and I think that's what I've come to realise over the years and, and, and years and years and years. Um, I'm still not totally there yet, but I, it's realising that everyone's different. You can't really change people. You can merely sort of present the mirror of truth to them and whether they choose to look into it and go oh my god this is right or this is wrong or this is a bad decision or you know that's a terrible t-shirt design or whatever whether they choose to do it you can't really influence it's down to them and and i think a lot of certainly sort of mature adult life dare i even say that sentence is is based on the fact where you know you, you can you you can go along with people certain so so, so far but ultimately you know if it it comes to a point where you go, look, this is not right for me. You know, I've, I've got a, I wish you well, don't, don't mean any malice, but I'm, I'm going to go over here now, you know, and you just got to keep going. Cause some people will, I, I've dealt with so much like negativity, uh, you know, over the years with, with other people. And I just realized, damn, you know, negativity, I, I hate it. You know, you just got to keep positive, especially all the shit that's going on in the world and stuff that's going on in my world. And people who, I think, I think a lot of people out there, the way they they may be a little bit down, maybe you know whether it's whether it's you know indirectly because of the the world's going down its own you know sewer or whatever, and they may be a bit depressed and not really realizing. But basically, the way they try to bring themselves up is by putting other people down, yeah, to make themselves feel good. Now I don't do that. I I just try to get myself up and then look around and help other people, and that kind of comes back to you. Whereas if the only way it's it's like the neighbours gossiping over the fence. Oh, look at Mrs. Jones. Oh, I don't like the haircut. You know, and they're constantly gabbering on and with negativity and little jibes, even in small forms. And I think you know, and that's the way they make themselves feel better. And I think that's just totally backward. So. Going back to the whole thing with bands, I mean, you know, everyone joins a band because they think it's literally, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, you might be a millionaire, you know, it's an easy way out. And they realize actually it's really hard. And a lot of bands, they think, oh, you know, get a record deal, they're going to be signed. Um, everything's going to be fine. And, you know, you, you get ripped off, the manager rips you off, you, you, you know, you do 24, 23 hours in the van and one hour on stage, you know, 
Um, if you're lucky to be fed, it might be like, you know, I remember one gig we turned up and there was like something I mean, 40 ham sandwiches, <laughs> you know, and that's it, you know, <laughs> and the people little triangles. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that whole thing. It's like, you know, uh, I, you know, you, the whole thing of people thinking, Oh, I bring my girlfriend on tour and the girlfriend thinks it's, you know, they, they believe it's like the fans vision. It's all like glory and, you know, champagne coming out of the tap waters backstage you know and then loads of time to hang with their boyfriend or whatever you know and you're in a concrete bunker two floor two stories underneath underground there's no 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 reception uh you know you, you gotta you, you gotta do your you gotta wash wash in a motorway service station you gotta get changed in the to- in the venue's toilet you know i mean and, and they go oh my god this is ridiculous and they either split up or they never come on the road again and it's just that's how it is but you know we 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 present this fantastic, you know, vision, which obviously, you know, that, that's the whole, it's like the circus. You go, Hey, it's fun and games, man. Um, but yeah, going back to your, your actual, you know, question. I mean, there's so many times where certainly in the past, I mean, I'll give you an example. We did, um, we, we, we were in the studio with Rachel Stamp and, uh, and we were recording a song called monsters of the new wave and, uh, Will's doing a solo and he did a, a regular rock and roll solo. And, uh, you know, it was like, oh, someone says like, you know, we want something a bit different. And I said, hey, why don't you just like, hold on one note? Like, wah, 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 wah. He did it and everyone went, oh man, that's great. You know, and that got the cut. A few months later, we released it and uh, it was being reviewed by the Super Suckers, which is a cool uh, cult punk rock band in, in, from America. And this is the lead singer called Eddie Spaghetti. And, you know, they're great. And they were reviewing it. And the guy said, oh, I'll give you this single of the week. I love that one note guitar solo. So we're on tour. We're on tour. And I read this and I was so blown away and i'm like a little puppy dog i just meant it with absolutely no ego at all i just went oh my god look we got single a week the guy mentioned a bit and do you remember i said to will I said, do you remember like um you know i said i said that was my idea you know i was about the one note and i just meant it like him to go yeah cool dude and he went you arrogant asshole <laughs> you, know, you, you egotistical prick you know this is not about you blah 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 fuck you know and of course you're in a in a you know four foot by four foot transit fan thing and the whole atmosphere is horrible so you've got to get to the next gig feeling like shit you know and again it's not a dig at will like, i thought we, we just did a show like two nights ago i'm still recovering absolutely brilliant he's a monster player he plays almost you know he's just rocking up as many blooming bands as me playing with adam and he's just joined Flesh for lulu plays with zig zig sparknik you know what i mean it bites you name it he's there he's got his own projects and and you know much, enough respect but back in the day when you're just like a young dicker we we're both like 20 somethings whatever it was and you know certain things um get taken out the wrong way yeah and and you get you know you get your ass chewed out and 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 you're in you're in a van and it can go bad and you wonder how bands even survive you know what I mean like you said someone might be hungover someone might be missing a girlfriend someone might have just broken up with their partner you know you've got to go out there every night and go all right crazy dudes let's rock and roll you know yeah and 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 you know you might be hurting you might be sick you might have, might have food poisoning you know um and there's just been so many times where you know you you've got to put on the front and go through it um. And it, yeah, it toughens you up. And I think back back in the day, I totally, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't as wasn't as wise with to mankind. And I just thought you could change everyone. So I'd bound in there with my boundless energy and go, hey, let's do it like this. And you're not really respecting people's space, and maybe they don't want to be pushed into that hole, you know, and told they've got to talk more to the audience or do this or that or tada, you know. And and so it, it is. People are very much like not catchy per se, but like you know, they they can get the thing the wrong way and. And I mean, another another good example is um, there's, a, there's a, a, a punk rockabilly band called The Grit, and they were the, one of the greatest live bands in the UK for the rockabilly scene. You know, great songs, high energy, 
a couple of cousins playing guitar and vocals. So they a lot like Kiss. They had, you know, two lead singers, you know, so they both split it up. Great stuff. And their drummer couldn't do a tour or gig or whatever. And they called me up, um, you know, and uh, and I literally had, you know, maybe maybe one rehearsal and we'd go to Finland and go to a tour and, and all that. So I'm, I'm basically, I think the drummer had maybe broken his arm or, you know, whatever, whatever. So I was rescuing them. And so in my mind, it was like, man, you know, these guys owe me a hell of a favor. I'm, I'm literally saving their show. So we're doing a rehearsal. And when it's like such short notes as that, to me, this is my interpretation of it, is my interpretation, we get, as long as I can get from the start of the song to the end of the song with the right arrangement. So there's the chorus, play the chorus. There's the middle eight, play the middle eight. There's the breakdown, play the breakdown. There's the double chorus to end, blah, blah, blah. As long as you follow the map of the song, you know, and you'd maybe not get the exact push here or the exact feel there, you know, bearing your mind on one rehearsal, yeah? Yeah. Then you're okay. And there was this one part, and this this lead singer guy, guitarist, like, no, no, you know, Geordie's like, no, you're not getting the push right, you know, whatever, I can't do the accent. And uh, and I was like, oh, sorry, man, you know, like, and, and I'm aware that we've got literally, you know, one hour left of the rehearsal, we've still got like seven songs, you know, whatever it was. And I was thinking, I was seeing the big picture. Yeah maybe because I'm, you know, a pro and I've done this before and I've helped bands and, you know, kind of like I knew that it was about getting through the songs so that they've got a fucking set. <laughs> not getting that intro of that particular bit absolutely perfect like the record. Now, I'm not covering my ass to saying it's a mistake or anything, but it was just he kept like, no, no, he kept stopping the song. You're not getting a push right. And it was starting to really, really get on my tits, really piss me off. And I was starting to get like, not cross or angry because I'm not really that kind of guy, but I was thinking deep down, I was saying to myself, fuck you i'm rescuing your tour man yeah you know let me this push is absolutely not going to make or break the set but getting the right arrangement is so with respect shut the fuck up and, and let's get the arrangement but i bought i i swallowed that and i and, and he was getting quite you know irate and oh, you gotta get it we can't do this song without this blah 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 so then i just took a big breath and this changed my whole world from there on in i basically went all right let's 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 work out this push and we we got the forensics out. We got we got the, got, the, got the magnifying glasses out, and we went through it again and again and again. And once I got it right, it became like putty and like a lovely flower. It was like really happy. It like, and it was I just realised at that point you've got to you know cater for these guys, guys and girls' insecurities, and make you kind of have to, as a session player you've got to absorb it all. Um, you know, if you start saying "fuck you," you know, to your employers, you know, you're not going to really last. They're going to be like, oh, "He's an asshole," and I. And it did me so much good because I swallowed my bullshit. I let this guy do his bullshit with the push. We got the push correct. And then we moved on. And he was so happy. And he, oh, that's what I'm talking about. Let's rock, you know. And changed the whole dynamic in the group. And we rocked it. And, it, and from there on in, it was brilliant. And it was just such a small thing. Mm. It wasn't like the big intro fill I was getting wrong, you know, like the, the, that's a big pop hit and everyone knows it and you're screwing it up. No, it's just a simple push or something. But I just remember going... And, and, and at that point, I realized, hey, every person you work for is going to be different. Some people are going to be like, ah, we don't care what you wear. We don't care the feels. Just give it some rock and roll, you know. And you'd be, okay, fine. You know, other people are like really specific, you know. And I, I think it's, you've just got to, you've got to really like, a, you know, bend and twist with them as much as you can. I mean, you know, within reason, obviously. So, like I said, when I'm working for, you know, Jimmy Percy, Dave Parsons, the original 1977, Sham 69, you know. You know, it's a different ball game than when you're, um, you know, doing something with, say, Rachel Stamp or the Fiascos or, you know, even, or Mar you know, when I was doing the stuff with Martin Barr, it was a whole, um, all of his songs were um, 
uh, what do you call it without words? Um, Instrumentals. Sorry, duh, yeah, brain freeze. They were all instrumental. So I mean, I'm trying to learn these songs, and of course, one's called "Merry Go Round," but of course, it's not like the, the, the chorus goes "Merry Go Round, Merry Go Round." You know, there's, <laughs> there's nothing. So I had to write my own notes, going kind of um, uh, skippy lula, jumpity jump, you know, merry wedding bell song, or you know, whatever. I wrote some utter crap, but it made sense to me. <laughs> So you just got to do everything a bit different than, you know, with other people. And, and you still, I still want to sort of put my mark on it. You know, that people go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's Robin is solid. And he's, you know, he's, 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 he's got, gets his power into the group, you know, whatever. But yeah, that, that, that's what I would say. And again, the old me would be like, nah, screw them. They owe you. But the, you know, the, the, the mature me would be like, yeah, they may owe you. And they might not even thank you for saving their goddamn thing. You know, like I said, um, each each to their own. You get through it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's that's sort of um, one of the things that attests to the fact that you're pro. You know, um, it is hard. You know, it's tough out there dealing with people, dealing with no sleep, dealing with the wrong you know food, or you don't eat at the time you're doing it. Blah blah blah. You know, but that's again, it's experiences. I've got a thousand stories of things going going wrong and going right, being brilliant. You know, like I said, even even the fact that I remember. I, an interview with um the guys from pantera and 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 they were like look we we, we have to eat two hours before the show we, not not sooner because you know we got to digest it and we got because we'll throw it up and i'm thinking well this is pantera they're heavy heavy metal drinking band they don't give a shit and they're, they're but no they were really specific they're like ideally i think there's also dave lee roth i think it's like i've got to eat three hours before playing any any nearer the show time forget about it and so, you know, it becomes like a science because your body's um, an athlete. You know, if you're doing singing, backing vocals and drumming, you know, um, and so it, little things like that you learn from, you know. And we did a, we did a gig with GNT at Yardbirds. We, we did the, you know, all the way up to, to Hull, is it? Grimsby or something like that, you know. Um, and um, long way in the van. And, and, and we got out and then we did the load in. And then we set it up and then we sound checked. And all this time we're like, oh, I'm really hungry. And then we realized the show time's like, let's say nine o'clock, you know. I was like, look, look, can we get some food? They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll sort some pizzas. And, and, and then we did the sound check. We're like, can we get some food? Yeah, yeah, we'll sort some pizzas. I was like, well, you know, I kind of tried saying to them, uh, like, we really need them, but later it's by cut-off by, by 7 o'clock because I've got to eat, you know, and digest it. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Nothing happened until, like, I'm telling you, man, half an hour before the stage. By this time, we were trying to eat our arm, you know. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and it was like the most glorious sight ever. It was like 10 boxes of steaming pizzas, absolutely glorious. And we're like, fucking hell we were on stage in half an hour and it was hell because you know you, you're so hungry your body's crying out for nutrients yeah. or well, whatever you've got in pizza it doesn't matter at that point you just need some food but of course you can't overeat because we've all got to go out and jump around and sing and stuff so i had like you know one and a half slices my body's sort of spasming going i want to eat more so we go on and go to do the, do, do the gig by the time we come off an hour an hour an hour and a half whatever a they're all cold and b the support bands had them of so, course you know Again, welcome to life on the road, baby. You know, it's just yet another thing you got to deal with, man. <laughs> so, would you, or, or, or more specifically, what would you say away from kind of some of the personality issues? What have been some of the hardest lessons you've had to learn as a full-time musician, or, or more specifically, <laughs> as a self-employed full-time musician? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, brilliant question. It's like, well. I mean, a lot of the times, well, more often than not, things don't work out the way you've worked them out in your head. 
you know, you worked it out perfectly and everything's faultless and you're like, you've gone over, even if you've gone over the plan or plans time and time again, that there's, there's, the problem is we're putting on a show or doing, you know, playing drums for a living, but there's so many things, so many factors that can go wrong. And uh, like literally, like I said, you know, that, that example with GNT, the food, it's like, you know, you, you're absolutely dying, you know, and you can actually become quite ill quite quickly if you don't rehydrate and get enough nutrients and food and, you know, stuff like that. Like, again, going back to that tour I did with the grit, you know, they're hard drinking, hard smoking, Geordie bastards, you know, and so their entire day started with a fry up. And then it was smoking cigarettes and drinking pints all day. And they're like, oh, it's a good cup of tea, that. And then a good brand of Guinness. And, and so but I did a week on the road. I had more salt in my body <laughs> than I've ever I didn't want to have a fright. But the only option, people don't realize. They go, well, you can buy what you want. But when you've got like, you know, half an hour, then you stop off at Greasy Joe's Cafe. Yeah. And that's all you've got. And, and, and you know, it, the, the, the biggest thing you can get for the cheapest is basically a fry-up. And you think, well, that'll sort me out for seven hours. That's what you get. And when you times that by six on the road. And, you know, and then a few beers at night. I mean, you can seriously screw your body up. And I'm not a big preacher with all this. But, like, you know, you, you, I, I came out of that. I could, you know, I was just so fry-upped out. You know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, there's so many things that can go wrong, whether it's saying, you know, whether it's, I don't know, lighting or the, the monitors or the, the sound check or the, the equipment on stage or get, getting the gear or your rescue toolkits, the things going wrong. I mean, you know, I mean, I've had, I've done shows where, um, you know, you soon learn early on that the most important thing in the, on your drum kit is the actual carpet. Because otherwise you, you've all done gigs where the, where the kick drum's been skidding away from yeah. you, you know, because it's on a, a nicely polished hardwood drum riser or, or the floor of a village hall or whatever. And um, But I've done gigs where my kick drum has moved the entire carpet and the drums around the room. <laughs> you know? and, um, and and I did this festival where, the, you know, rock and roll festival where I was on a big, you know, eight foot by eight foot riser. And the, the, the whole carpet started moving off the riser. And I only noticed when like one of the kick drum spurs had gone off the riser and the kick drum started. And I was like, I was screaming out to, to you know, above the deafening noise to anyone. I need a hammer and some wood, you know, to actually build a, an actual, you know, four by two like lip. And they couldn't work out what I was saying. And eventually it was quite funny. They, they sent this like, you know, typical sort of bald headed, uh, you know, bouncer. And he stood, he, he, he sat behind me the whole rest of the, the, the headline slot holding the corner of my carpet. Hey, good I, could on him, on, man. I could pat him on the head. Yeah. You know, he was down by my China and floor Tom side and it was, became really comedic because that was his job just to hold this bloody carpet, you know, but you know, you can, you can scupper the entire gig from one carpet yeah. or, you know, or your, or your kick pedal breaking. You know, stuff like that. So, you know, it pays to have spares. I mean, you know, I've been in bands where the guys have forgotten batteries for their guitar pedals. Um, you know, the Grolsch bottle rubber tops that put on strap locks for the guitar. Yeah. And so I'll be like, okay, I've got, I've got a nine volt battery here. I've got, I've got a, you know, a couple of Grolsch top things for your strap locks. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. And I'm the one with the toolkit. I'm the one thinking for them, you know. So, yeah, this is just, you know, you, you, I mean... I, I think I came up with a, a, a quote ages ago that, like, basically, rock and roll is basically like the cross between life on the road is basically the cross between camping and warfare. <laughs> and and to to back that up, if you've ever been camping and you've forgotten, you know, your torch, you're fucked for the week. You know? <laughs> so whatever you got is whatever you got. And I think it must be like I said, I'm not a soldier, and uh, but I it must be the same with warfare. It's like you know, someone goes, all right, Travis, you're going into battle. And you go, okay, what's my weapon? You go, hey, it's a wooden foot, wooden, wooden sword. 
You go, okay, well, I'm against the dragon with, with flame throwing and laser bolts. And you go, well, well, that's what you've got, dude. Off you go. And you, <laughs> yeah. as a professional, yeah, good luck. you as a professional, yeah, you have to go and kick ass, whether it's waging war or camping in the Cotswolds or, or playing drums on stage with a rock band or whatever. You have to, you, whatever you've got in that floating bubble of touring, that's what you've got. <laughs> and um, so, you know, along the way, the only way you learn is by the mistakes. And you go, ah, oh, shit, I only packed one pair of socks for this two months tour. You know, <laughs> or <laughs> just everything, man. You know, whether it's like, you know, I mean, uh, the one, one dressing room, Sham 69, a couple of years ago in Manchester, I think. It was above the stage, and you got like two, three, four, whatever, five thousand people. Absolutely, temperature was boiling. The dressing room was so hot; there was no aircon, and we're literally ringing with sweat. Wow. So I went and got a big pail of ice, and there was a tiny little office fan which was doing absolutely nothing except re re retweeting uh, hot air. And I pick a point; I, I gaffer tape the fan over the ice. So it blow the ice and the entire room completely ice cold. So nice. I made my own aircon. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, MacGyver and, style. <laughs> dude, I'm always I'm the putting a guy in a MacGyver, you know. Honestly, I'm always trying to get quick fixes. Like on the road, um, if you if you study my kit to my to the side of my slave pedal and uh, and the high hat stand, I've got um a part of uh, like a beer crate that I, a plastic beer crate you find at ven every venue. And I've got a hacksaw from my toolkit obviously um and i cut it into i cut six of the spaces out six little honeycombs you know and so i've got this small little uh six drink holder that i put down there because so many times people give you a pint or a bottle or a can of coke whatever a bottle of water and you're on this rickety riser and you, you've got guitar cables and monitor cables and you put it down in the dark and your pint's falling over your water or whatever it is and and you know by the end of the tour you're growing blooming mushrooms or something out of your drum car because it's been wet and never gets to dry out so this way i know i've got two spaces for water you know a beer uh, uh energy thing like you know coke or you know whatever um and then the rehydration something and I, I can work exactly what i want to drink when i want and in the dark i can just put it straight down and it and again that was just like i i made that up you could obviously buy buy drinks holders and that but i've got six <laughs> six gang <laughs> that's awesome. you know and i attached a little light for it in case you want to leave um on, on um on, on every single snare I possess, I've got a drum key that I've put a little dog clip and I've clipped it, clip it onto a lug. Because so wherever you got, you can never have enough drum keys, am I right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and it's instead of going, oh, where are my drum keys? In my back pocket, my jeans are in, in, in my kit bag, which is two flights of story, stairs up in the dressing room. That's no good when you're on stage, you know? Yeah. Um, especially when you've got a higher kit and you don't know what skins are on there. You don't know the loot, which lug's going to come loose. You know, so you need a, you need clip on, uh, you know, uh, 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 drum keys, you know, stuff like that, um, and just everything. You know, I clamp loads of stuff around my kit, whether it's you know providing clamps on the snare drum for the mic, so that they don't have to have a great big boom coming over my shoulder for the snare mic, or building one for the kick drum, and you know, just just stuff that makes it all easier on the road. You know, it's all so great ideas. Always evolving. Yeah, kind of like little survival tips. It's it's cool, man. It got described as Robin's Swiss Army knife. I, I love that. That that's actually cool, <laughs> yeah. man. You should you should yeah. uh, put that on a shirt or something. That's cool. Um, yeah. So listen, I know we're starting to run low on time. I want to yeah. very very briefly get into your Faith No More stories because because uh, that's that's what kind of struck me to get you on the show. You were putting up those posts on Facebook. They were hilarious. Um, yeah. which I'm not going to go into. I'll let you, but tell us how you got that dip job with faith no more. And tell us, uh, if you wouldn't mind, tell us about this mask situation. Cause I think yeah, that yeah, was for hilarious. Sure. 
Well, um, to, I mean, obviously everything, however you get to anywhere in life, it usually starts with a single seed or a little thread and you met someone's cousin and someone's cousin knew a record producer, but you know, all that stuff. And it, it, it the thing was, uh, Faith No More is basically, I was um, sort of roadieing for this, uh, like this comedian guy, a bit like an Alan Partridge guy. His name was Lenny Beige, and he had a show in the West End, um, you know, the kind of speakeasy club. And, uh, you know, all kind of celebrities would get up and have a little skit with him. And he had a backing band. Uh, it was basically the Robbie Williams backing band. So it's Guy Chambers, the guy who write Angels, Phil Eisler on bass, uh, you know, there's a guy called Hugo on drums. He played in Honeycrack, which is a band with CJ Wildhearts and the Wildhearts. And, you know, I recognized these guys, and I was their roadie, and they bung me like 50 quid because I had a van. And I set up all their gear and take them home drunk and you know stuff like that. <laughs> and um, I actually, you know, one time Hugo, the drummer, couldn't do it, and I'd learned all the set by this point. And uh, just as an aside note, they were like, "Oh shit, we're the drummer down." I was like, "I know all the songs," and I got to play with the Robbie Williams backing band, you know. Cool. So that was another thing. Anyway, so basically, the crux was Phil Asler, his bass head blew up or whatever, and he said, "Robbie, can I bung you a few quid? Take this down to Ritz Studios in Putney." or Fulham or whatever, you know? And, um, and so I was like, yeah. So the next day I, t- I drive it down to, um, Fulham, I put me and, and, and then found rich studios. And it was like three different entrances. There's a workshop and an office. I was like, oh shit. Well, before I wander this base cabin, I'll have a little scoot around, see which is the right place for, you know? And I wandered up the staircase, uh, outside staircase, like wooden stairs. And, and there's a door at the top and it said the session connection. So I kind of, you know, worked out in my mind that that must be where session agencies you know session musicians live <laughs> or born you know <laughs> and, and i was always thinking well you know i need to expand my thing and i've never my take on the whole session people people either think you're either a session player or you play in bands i'm, I'm like well i'm kind of a, I, the, the way i sum it up is i'm a, I'm a band player who does sessions but yeah. i'm also a session player who plays in bands you know to me it's it's all the same you know it's all kind of it's all good um so anyway i i, I was thinking well you know maybe i can get a few contacts get a few sessions here and there see what's going on so i looked at the door and it said the session connection it said do not do not enter unless you by prior appointment and i was thinking oh shit am i gonna behave and obey this and i was like nah sod it so i just basically waltzed straight in and at this point in time i had like pink hair and um and, and i just put one step in in in, the, in this big long room and i was expecting them to go get out you know and i heard this female voice going oh i like your hair and i thought that's it i'm in you know and so there's, there was three desks there's one right at the end one on the left one on the right three girls all cooing about my hair and i was like brilliant so i walked straight up to the big one big desk and i went right my name's Robin, and uh, I'm a drummer. And uh, as you can see, I've got you know pink hair and all this stuff, you know. And uh, I'm not afraid to do anything. So um, give me, you know, give me. I would. I said something like, you know, I will do anything and everything that all your people, all your highly skilled uh, session musicians won't do. You know, give me the gnarly, give me the crazy. And I think they were just so impressed by my sort of balls out approach. They went, all right, cool. And you know, I gave them my card. My card at the time that was a picture of me sort of shrugging kneeling over a whole box of broken drumsticks and my t-shirt said technical expert so they loved that they were like this is really funny so oh we'll, we'll see what happens robin see you later so off i was got the bass fixed the rest was that a couple of weeks later a couple of months whatever the phone rings and he goes robin it's tina from the session connection i'm like uh-huh she goes you know you wanted something crazy i went yeah and she goes i've got you something crazy and of course at this point i was thinking it was just going to be jumping around in the gorilla outfit you know the, you know wet, wet, wet or something you know what i mean yeah in the background not drumming and um, and I thought, well, I'll take it. I'll, I'll infiltrate Top of the Pops and I'll give everyone my silly business card. And she goes, are you ready for it? And I'm like, well, I'll do anything, whatever, you know, give me it. And she goes, it's drumming for Faith No More. And of course, you know, my jaw hit the floor. I just went, Faith No fucking what? You know, um, I just sort of went, yes, okay. And um, like I said, a few days later, you know, this sort of, um, you know, this courier dude on a slick bike turned up and gave me this CD single and disappeared. And I went upstairs going, please let it not be 
complicated prog rock old time signature shit you know and it was uh, for ashes to ashes which is good old four before rock and roll and i was like i listened to it i went yeah i can do this it's gonna be awesome so you know got limoed to the show and uh, all the fans running up and looking in and then looking really confused because you're not george michael and go who the fuck is this <laughs> and they say they take a picture of you anyway it's brilliant you know and then you go in I got there before everyone else and it literally said faith no more. And it said like, you know, Roddy bottom, uh, Mike, uh, not Mike Borden. Cause he was the guy who was replaced, you know, uh, Mike Patton, Billy Gould, John Hudson, Robin guy. And so I got this piece of paper saying right faith no more with my name on it. Absolutely brilliant. Walked in and the dressing was like full up with like beers, champagne, cold cuts. Of course, you know, this is 96. I hadn't really experienced the big, rock and roll riders by this you know at all you know yeah. and um and so i was just blown away i was like shit you feed a you know a small village for this you know and uh and I was, I was just hanging around and then eventually the guys turn up and they're like hey man you're gonna play drums with us today and i'm like yes please if you'll let me you know and uh so we kind of bantering and hanging out and i'm kind of like pretending to laugh at all their in in tour bus jokes and you know they're going oh charlie am i random and i'm going oh, yeah you know the bus driver i've never met charlie the bus driver you know absolutely fucking hilarious and uh you know i had a, i shared a sandwich with marty pello from wet 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 because they turned up they were hung over and they looked in and they, I, got, I got a massive baguette and i was like hey man i want to nibble of this he's like you're sure man you know and uh hansen i said i ended up setting up the drum kit for hansen and little kids they're doing umbop and and they just looked at me clutching their Dr. Pepper and they looked at me very scared. And I just went, hey, kid, let's set up a trumpet for you. And um, George Michael's on the show as a secret appearance. The Spice Girls were presenting. Sarah Brightman. I mean, it was one of the biggest top of the pops around. It was brilliant to be part of. And I'm on there with bloody faith no more. It's amazing. So we did about, I don't know, five, four or five sort of rehearsals in our jeans and t-shirts while they work out camera angles and whatnot, you know? And then we're just in the dressing room and they go, okay, right, you know, we're going to dress rehearsal. And then they produce this fucking, this mask, which was like, now imagine a passport photo of like, say Mike Borden's head. So it's like what, you know, one inch by one and a quarter inches. Now imagine blowing that up to like, you know, a foot by half of, you know, a, a, the size of a head. It was pixelated as, as, as hell. It was really bad. And for the eyes, dude, they had literally dagged, dagged a, a pair of scissors through it. So it's this little split holes. It was really crap. And what I didn't, what I didn't realize at that point, and I'm glad I didn't realize, but it was so badly made. They tied one knot uh, with the with with the elastic. And anyway, so they said, "Look, we got this mask." And of course, I'd kind of heard rumors from the record company girls that said, "Oh, they might want you to wear a mask." And I was like, "Oh shit, really? You know, come on, because you got to remember this is." Top of the Pops was the biggest music show for anyone in Great Britain course, at the yeah. time. And, 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 you know, I grew up driving forklifts on a, on a builder's yard with, like, pink backcombed, crimped hair. And my nickname was Candy Floss in the builder's yard. And it was like, hey, Candy, what you got your hair like that for? And I'd be like, well, Bill, because everyone in the builder's yard's called Bill, you know. <laughs> I go, well, Bill, because I'm a drummer. And, of course, their stock response, and anyone who's a musician in the UK will have this exactly. Oh, you're going to be on Top of the Pops then one day, are you? Yeah. And I've had that a thousand times in the builders. You're going to be on Top of the Pops. Man. And so when you get the chance to be on motherfucking Top of the Pops, you, you know, you feel totally vindicated. All the builders out there, you know, calling me candy floss and whatnot. And not in a bad way. I didn't care. Fuck, but it was, uh, you know, you, it's your calling. You go, this is it. This is, this is it. This is top of the pot. Oh my God. You know? So when they tell you, you've got to wear a mask, you'll be someone else. You're really crestfallen. And you're like, oh man. So I mildly protested, but like, they were like, nah, man, if you don't want to do it. And this is a quote from Billy Gould, who runs the bloody show in Faith No More. I said, dude, if you don't want to do it. And I quote verbatim, we'll get some monkey to wave their sticks around at the back. We don't care. And of course, at that point, I grabbed the mask and went, no, 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 let, let me be that monkey, you know, <laughs> um, because they, they kind of, the thing is, the whole thing is, 
Mike Puffy Borden, he was away drumming for Ozzy Osbourne at the time, and his wife was also pregnant, giving birth, etc. So he was busy and he wasn't there. So when when Great Britain called to say, hey, Faith No More, Ashes to Ashes is charted, we need you on top of the pops, they were like, okay, band assemble. Oh, no drummer. So they just flew over and <laughs> to get a, get a monkey on the drums to wave their, their sticks, and I was that monkey. So, you know, they just wanted to take the piss out of him. They didn't really care from their point of view, who was the drummer. From my point of view, it's everything. It's yeah, the biggest it's thing big in the world. It's top of the pops. It's, not only is it top of the pops, but I'd, I'd have been happy if it was, you know, some some crap indie band or whatever. But it was just Faith No More. You can't bid a you know, most credible band of the 90s, most credible metal band, you know. Anyway, so they want me to wear the mask. So I protested mildly. They said, well, we don't care. You're a monkey over. I was like, okay, cool. So we go down and we do the, this is a, this is the filming now. Mike Patton turns around, gives me the mask, and he says three words, make this work. He just hands it to me. He goes, make this work. So I thought, hi, hi, Captain, you know. And Mike Patton can be known to be quite serious sometimes, you know. So I was like, fuck, you know. So the riff of Ashes to Ashes is four riffs. You go, down, 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 three. And then on the fourth, the drums kick in. So the first riff, and this is exactly what happened, kids. The first riff, he hands it to me, he goes, make this work. So I put it on. The second riff, that little knot that I told you about earlier popped through and the mask just floated down onto my snare drum. Boom. <laughs> so the third riff, and this point, everything goes into like, you know, the horror scenes where Freddy Krueger's running after you and the, and the stairs turn into toffee. Yeah. Everything went slow motion. So it was like, and I was like, my mind's going, dude, my mind's going a million miles an hour. And half of my mind is going, right, grab the elastic, shove it through the hole, do a couple of knots, whack it back on, do that in 0.75 of a second you'll be good to go. And then the other half of me went, fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) Not in a malicious way, but just like, that's never going to happen, dude. That's never going to happen, dude. You know, you can't repair this mask that quickly. Jettison the bitch. So I just skimmed it off like a Frisbee to the left. Um, To this day, I wish I'd have gone and picked it up after the show because that would have been a wicked trophy to have. But as it was, I've got the elastic. I've got the elastic. (laughs) I can show up. I'll put a picture on my Facebook when I find it out. Anyway, um, so... So the mask gone, I'm rocking in the song, we're going. Now, the, none of the band saw this because they're facing the cameras. You know, you don't do a TV show facing the drummer. So they're blissfully ignorant of all this shenanigans going on. And bearing in mind, the last thing that Mike Patton said to me was make this work. So he's singing out the front. He's got a beaker of champagne, a clear plastic glass of champagne. And halfway through the song, he turns around to put it down on a riser. And that's when he clocks me. Like, as in me, <laughs> RG, not... Not, not wearing a mask, yeah. Not... Mike Borden. So at this point, in, in, bearing in mind, the last thing he said was make this work. So he doesn't know. He just thinks I fucked him and, you know, and did disrespect him. So he puts the beaker down and he fling, brings up the middle finger and flips me in the bird big time. And, and of course, I'm, I'm shitting myself. You know, I've just been offend, abused by Mike Patton. So over the, over the deafening monitor mix and the playing, I'm trying to shriek at him going, Mike, the mask fell off. It was badly made, mate. You know, and it goes, you know, no one's hearing anything. I'm just shouting stuff, fucking up the beats, you know. You know. <laughs> and so he carries on singing to the front. And then, of course, like three quarters of the way through the song, there's a bit where he gets heavy metal. He starts screaming and there's a solo. And, it, and it's, you know, we all, we, all, we all lock in and we start headbanging. We start rocking. And I think that just sort of loosened us up a bit. And he turned around. And this is the key thing. He gave me a wink. Now, that could be interpreted two ways, in my opinion. One was like, like, um, yeah, it's all right, whatever, you know. Um, yeah, fuck it, you know. But I think the other one, I think knowing Patton, Mike Patton, for what he is, I think he was actually giving me respect for being a bit of a pirate, you know, being a bit of a rebel. I think he was like, yeah, fair enough. 
you told me to go stiff myself and and you did you yeah, know so anyway he gave yeah. a wink and i smile back at him and we get a little tiny rapport and and we're rocking out and we kill it and it's great you know so the cameras go off and we go off stage and of course this is when billy gould goes crazy he goes what the freak man i'm gonna freaking get some freaking gaffer take you freaking to take the freaking mask to your freaking face you know, I'm thinking, I'm trying to protest, you know, whimpering, going, but Billy, the mask was badly made and it fell off. He's like, I don't give a fuck. You know? So I'm thinking, shit, you know what they're going to do? And this is what happens when you do Top of the Pops. As soon as you finish your, 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 your filming, they're filming someone else on another stage yeah. while a B crew, uh, uh, camera crew B, uh, like edit team, team they, li- they lo- look at the footage they just shot to make sure it's okay and to make sure there's no middle fingers for the next seven o'clock uh, children's uh, watershed, uh, you know, whatever it's called, you know, because it's on just before that. So it's got to be kiddie friendly. And I was thinking, I'm doomed because the, the B crew are going to like spool through this. They're going to see the middle finger and they're going to call us in for a reshoot. And by which time Billy Gould would have found some freaking gaffer tape, the freaking gaffer tape, the freaking master, my freaking face. So it would have been game over. And I wouldn't, I'd be telling you this very short story about how I once performed behind a mask with Faith No More and nothing else happened. Um, but anyway, so suddenly this, this lady, this girl with a, with a walkie-talkie and headphones came back and was like, okay, Faith No More, all right, you guys are good to go. And they all split. Hmm. We jumped on a plane, went back to San Francisco within five minutes, whatever, you know. So I'm left there, you know, in an empty backstage corridor on my own going, we're good to go. That means that footage is going to go out tomorrow on the biggest music program in the UK with me and my pink hair, you know, Mike Patton flipping me the bird. Amazing. <laughs> and so I ran back to the dressing room to grab a beer and pack it down and try to steal as much blooming, you know, food and drink because I was a poor, impoverished uh, rock and roll drummer. And, and you know, I was trying to get all this champagne in my soup bag and stuff. And I found Billy Gould's passport. So this is the guy giving me all the shit, right? And I just, fuck, I was like, you know, dude, I've got your passport. I've got your nuts in my hand right now, son. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I ran down I ran down to the green room, but, you know, and there's Mike Patton sitting on, a, on, a, on the floor, basically, having a pint of bitter or whatever, you know, with John Hudson, the guitarist. So I, and I just looked at him. We did that whole sup face, you know, like, what's up? You know, and he's like, oh, yeah. And I went up to him and I said, uh, Mike, uh, I believe your, your bass player owes me a hell of an apology. And I pulled out this, uh, this passport. And he just opened it up, saw his passport, and he just looked at me, and he kind of went, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just perfect, because after all this ordeal I'd been through, Mike has given me the finger, and then give me the wink, and then I've given his bass player the ability to go home. (laughs) You know, and he was like, motherfucker, you know, and I think he thought I was all right by then. Um, And uh, then, yeah, the the rest was, I disappeared, they disappeared, I got home in the limo, and, you know, I was stripping balls for the rest of the day. And then when it came out, it was brilliant. And uh, there's even a song on the, sac- the first Sactric record, which is my flatmate at the time, Chris Dale, who that went on to become, we, we got the Bruce Dickinson show together, sorry, not show, the gigs and that. And, and, and he was recording Sactric. And I'd rec- I, I got into my house and I was so hyper uh, that I'd just done to all the pops. And I wanted to tell everyone because my flatmates weren't there. So I phoned up the, the, uh, the guitarist guy that they were recording with Sactric and Chris and I, and I got through the answer phone so I, I left this garbled million miles an hour message going guys guys he's Robin I've just done Top of the Pops with Thanks No More and you can tune in tomorrow at 7 o'clock and you'll see me with all my pink haired glory and of course all the guys are looking listening to this pissing themselves laughing they looped it put a hip hop beat and made a song called Robin's Good News <laughs> And so if you get the first Sanctuary album called Mystery from the Music, Music from the Mystery Rabbits, track five or something, there's a song called Robin's Good News. It goes, Robin's got some news. Robin's got some news. Tell us your news, Robin. Tell us your news, Robin. And then it comes to my answer phone. It's like, dum, dum, dum. Hey, guys, it's Robin Guy here. I'm just going <laughs> to. 
so it's technically my first session <laughs> and so it's just absolutely hilarity all around and then i got on the davina mccall show to tell the world about what i've just told you so you can if you go to youtube and put robin guy face no more top of the pops you'll see the top of the pops thing and if you put type in robin guy davina mccall you'll see uh, the interview that and it's this kind of a similar thing but just it's, it's hilarious and then of course i got rachel stamp on to play the the end show credits of the Davina McCall show called Closure. Um, so, you know, you, you just involve everyone, isn't it? You know? It's so cool, man. I love it. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'll take a breath now. <laughs> hey, Robin, um, I've got one last question for you. And it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's possibly a little bit of a tough, maybe sensitive one. So if you don't want to go yeah. into it, that's okay. No, nah, um, I know, far away, man. I know you've had a little bit of a tough time the last year or so or more um and i know that you're in and out of chemo at the moment which i, I right. hope i hope that you're gonna be okay and i'm sending you all the positive vibes in the world man um, yeah i mean yeah no you're right and i don't mind talking about it. i mean essentially for four maybe five years may 2018 you know wow that long ago i didn't i didn't realize cramp cramp in your gut and the doctor delays it blah 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 and eventually they go you've got bowel cancer stage four and it's like you know it's not good you're going to do chemo so i've been on and off chemo for a long time i've managed to make the the the, 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 the career continue and do all these shows and i think a lot of people get confused because they kind of think they want to like you said earlier about music or food they put you in a category they all want to put you in a category of invalid and the sympathy thing, or they want to put you up there as a you know, rock and roll legend or doing whatever you're doing or you're survivor. And, and I'm kind of like, I'll do a post where I go, Hey, I'm just going for a chemo scan or having chemo or pet scan or whatever. And I'll be like, Oh my God. And then I'll put a picture of me rocking out the 5,000 people with sham 69 or whatever it is, you know, and people go, how is this possible? And I, I don't know how it's possible. We're just grit and determination. You just keep going. Um, and so, yeah, chemo is absolutely horrendous. And it's like, you know, it's, it's the way I sum it up is like 60% heart, uh, 60% food poisoning and 40% heartbreak. You, know, you mix wow. it up in a cauldron and inject that for about four hours and, and you come out of there bleary eyed and you, you just stay in bed for about three or four days and you feel rotten. Damn. And then eventually you sort of get out and you start making cups of tea and wander around the garden and you get on the kit and you're going to do a rehearsal with Rachel Stamp. And then a couple of days later, you play a massive show <laughs> and it's complete madness. And I mean, there is no rhyme or reason. I mean, I think as we all get older, we all know someone who's going through shit. We're going through shit ourselves. Someone's, you know, losing a, a dad, a parent, a pet, a girlfriend, a partner, a house, a job, a chemo, cancer. You know, there's shit out there, you know, and it's like, there's not one person who's living a blessed life. And if they are, they've been lying. Am I right? You know? Yeah. Um, and I think it's just a case of kind of, you know, it, the, the way I sum it up is like that Morgan Freeman character read in Shawshank Redemption. You know, and he keeps getting pro uh, pro denied parole, whatever. And he goes, hey, man, in here, you've got to get busy living or get busy dying. Which one is it? You know, and I think that's the attitude you've got to have. It's like, you're going to let this get on top of you and bring you down. Because once you're down mentally, you know, you're kind of fucked physically and everything else falls apart. And if you just keep going, I mean, maybe it's because I'm absolutely stupid <laughs> and naive. And I just think, hey, you know. But I mean, it's all I know. All I know is to, to, to rock shows, play drums, try to teach people, help people out, inspire, whatever, and, and keep going. And if that helps someone, then that's great. And if some of the words I said, then that's great. And if they don't mean anything or someone else has got something better, I'll listen to them. You know? Yeah. All I was going to yeah. say is like, I mean, just how inspiring that you're still so positive. I know that you're still super mm. busy. I mean, mm. just big ups, man. 
I've, I, I started <laughs> Thanks, the show. I, mean, by, I started the show by saying uh, I was a fan from the moment I saw you play, and I still am, dude. Uh, I just well, you're a very, very inspiring guy. I'm glad you're still doing your thing. And well, uh, that's that's a compliment. That means you know it's, that's all I want to do is really is, is as you get older, you want to help people out, not in a you know holier than thou thing or egotistical way. But you just think, well, it means the world to me. If someone sees me playing, go, hey man, you know my little kid saw you playing. Now he wants to play drums or. Or, or you know, my teenager's going to go on a, on the tour, and you, you, you know, you, you recommended he, you know, buy some rehydration powder to stop stop getting cramp, and oh my god, that saved his life. You know, whatever it does is we're all here to learn from each other. And if I've sort of played with a bunch of bands that had a bunch of crazy situations, you know, it's a great bunch of stories around the campfire. But also, there's a lot of proof in that that you know can help you with whether it's stretching before a show or warming up or doing this, doing that, or just going crazy and you know whatever you know whatever whatever helps and that's what it's about and i think a lot of drummers they, they want to share their their story and everyone's got a different take on it whatever you know so as you talk to dave Weckle, he's gonna have a completely different angle than 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 me for sure but uh you know well maybe not <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know to me it's just about keep on going keep on hitting those hurdles uh you know busting through them and having fun and you know having crazy looking kits <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing hey robin yeah. we're gonna we're gonna end it there my buddy um, thank yeah. you so much for your time. I will link all of your details in the show notes. Um, awesome. Just yeah. super. I, we didn't even get through half the stuff I wanted to talk to. We're going to have to get you back <laughs> on at some point, man. But uh, That's cool. We'll come back and do the rest, you know? Yeah. But but again, I can't thank you enough and best of luck with everything. Uh, just before you go, let us know where um, our listeners can find you just in case they want to check you out when this thing comes out, buddy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I've got an artist page on Facebook, which is like facebook.com forward slash Robin Guy Drums. Personal one, Robin Guy Drummer. Uh, Twitter is Robin Guy. Instagram, Robin Guy Drum. Basically, if you just type in something like Robin and a guy and a drum, <laughs> you know, you'll find me uh, on all these different things. Um, you know, if you can, if, if there's one thing, you know, connect up with the artist one. And that's obviously just pure um, drums and me and, and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's, it's this day and age, it's all kind of the, much of a much as some people love Instagram. I, I think it, I hate it. You know, <laughs> you can't really interact too much. Facebook's really interactive. But I mean, you know, some people, the kids these days, they're like, oh man, that's a dinosaur. But yeah, just, you know, the usual social medias hit me up. It's Robin Guy Drums, Robin Guy Drummer, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, stay in touch, ask me questions, and let's go. <laughs> awesome. Robin, thank you so much, dude. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, Travis, take care, man. See you soon, yeah? You too, man. Bye. All right, rock and roll. Cheers, man. Bye. Sweets. I'd like to thank Robin for his time. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for listening to this for your time. I know I keep going on about the ratings, but it helps us. And, uh, you know, people take the time to talk to me about their lives and hopefully you're getting some nuggets of information in these things. So please... Take a couple seconds out of your busy day, if you wouldn't mind. Leave us a rating or a review. We'd, we'd greatly appreciate it. I'd greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.